You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. This morning, we're in for a treat. Uh, Eric is preaching a standalone sermon over Psalm 107. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, you can start to make your way there. And if you don't have one with you and you would like to use a hard copy of the text, We do have them available under seats around you. So this morning in particular, we are going to read together Psalm 107, verses 1 through 3. So when you get there, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word if you are able to. All right, Psalm 107, verse 1 says... Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you. Appreciate the woos. Uh, Yeah, welcome to Providence. It's good to have everyone here. Uh, Thanks for doing it online as well. Um, This is the last Sunday we're going to gather in 2020. So next time we meet together will be 2021. That's pretty crazy. Uh, I'm sure for a lot of you it's just a a good chance to breathe maybe after 2020. Um, Just feel like, you know, so much has happened this year. And who knows, we've still got a few days. So we'll see what continues to happen. Uh, It's not over yet, right? But... um, yeah, so we decided to do a standalone today uh, after ending our Advent series, and um, just wanted to take some time today uh, and maybe do some reflection on the past year, uh, and then maybe how we look forward in the future. Uh, there's a lot of things I want to discuss. Um, it, it's it's a new year. There's a lot of things to consider. Um, I'm not going to go into details about maybe all the things that happened in, in 2020, but I think it's safe to say, to some degree or the other, maybe there's been some anxiety, uncomfortability for some of you in the room. You know, 2020 may have been a devastating year for you in many ways, as Brendan discussed earlier. Uh, and for some of us, maybe it wasn't at all. You know, um, maybe it was actually a pretty, pretty good year, all things considered. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it's important that as we look out on uh, our past circumstances and our sufferings and, and all the things that we kind of go through in this life that are kind of crazy, it's important we learn to look at them rightly. Um, this is a very good skill to have. It's very important for the Christian when we consider what it means to worship the Lord uh, and, and to go through these things. And so there's two, I think, broad temptations that we have when we go through moments of, of trial, uh, or maybe if you look back at the past year. I think there's two temptations we have, and these are what they are. One uh, is to think that our suffering is worse than it is. And what I mean by that is we we, looked at our, we look at ourselves as victims only, you know what I mean? Uh, and this mentality uh, is very easy to have, and sometimes it feels good, but it's very harmful. Uh, it's not a good mentality to have, because if you only look at yourself as a victim of, of circumstance or situation, what happens is the focus turns off of the Lord and on to you. And when the focus terminates on you, it's impossible to have peace. It, it's impossible to really feel the other side of the gospel, which is in Christ we are more than conquerors, not just victims, Right? And this is important. And I think the other temptation is that maybe in a way to kind of ignore uh, our circumstances and suffering, we tend just to not think about it at all. We just kind of push it back. It's like, that's the past. It's happened, whatever. Uh, and then when we do that, uh, the big kind of fear is that we, we miss 
the providence of God in our lives, the intricacies of God in the world story and how he's working all things out for our good. And it does us great joy and good to look at our life, look at our circumstances, and, and to notice the providence of God. And this providence, it's, you know, Providence Community Church, we're going to define that word today and talk about it. Um, but it's important that we maybe try to avoid both of these things. And as we look back at 2020, that we see the gracious hand of God, the goodness of God, and as we look forward with genuine hope uh, that God is all about rescuing his people, redeeming his people, and working all things out for their good. I think it's an important thing to dwell on. So I would like to spend just a moment in prayer together as we dive into Psalm 107. Um, and I know it is 43 verses long. Take heart. We will get through it easy. Okay. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. And, and, and we take uh, a moment this morning to just thank you, God, for your goodness. As we heard repeated in this psalm and we'll hear your steadfast love endures forever. It is on this rock that we hope this morning. It is on this truth that we believe with all of our hearts that no matter what we endure, no matter what happens um, to us in this life, that you are preparing us uh, for the next life with you in eternity. And so God, I pray against the temptation to settle for false hopes. I pray against the temptation to Ignore the realities of the word of God. It's so easy for us to do that. And God, I pray by your spirit, you give us grace and strength and wisdom to behold your wondrous work today. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, um, Psalm 107 is a snapshot of four different examples of God's providence. And so, you're going to see four separate stories that Psalm 107 is going to attend to. Now, all of these are really in the context of where it was written in the Babylonian captivity, where, where Judah was sent into exile in Babylonia and then eventually got to come back into um, their homeland. You read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah and some different areas of the Bible. Uh, so this psalm is kind of centered there. Uh, but really, this psalm, in some ways too, is a broader understanding of God's dealings with his people. You see this repetitive uh, kind of theme throughout the history of the Old Testament and New Testament uh, of God's people and God's working with his people. And so I think our goal should be when we look at Psalm 107 is not to try to fit our lives perfectly into one of these four examples of God's providence, but rather to see a pattern that is created in the life of all of God's people. And we'll talk about that pattern in a second. But we are going to look at four examples of people. uh, And we'll get into those here. But first I want to define providence. Uh, Providence, um, I've heard often described and probably best described as sovereignty with purpose. So when we talk about sovereignty, what we mean is God's ability uh, to do whatever he pleases, right? The, The Bible says that he sits in the heavens and does whatever he wants to, okay? And so God has absolute control over every being, all the universe. It's all under his authority. Uh, As some of the old theologians would say that even every single dust mote is under his control, you know, uh, God's sovereign. Um, But providence describes maybe a step further to say God's sovereignty with purpose. See, uh, we've talked about this before, but God's purpose, uh, God's always had purpose. He's motivated by purpose. He has reasons for what he does, right? And his theme in the Bible, the purpose that we see in the Bible is God's always had the purpose of having a people to whom 
he can reveal his glory and by whom he can reveal his glory to the world. So God's all about himself. He's about his glory and he's wrapped us into his story uh, and he is building a people to reveal his glory to and to reveal his glory through. And it is in this purpose that God always provides. This word providence includes provide, God's providence, right? God provides for his people. So maybe you could sum it up like this. Providence is God's provision for his people in all that they need at all times for his ultimate purposes. That's how I describe providence. That's what's going on here. And so we're going to see these four examples of God's providence to his people. And I pray with desperation that this brings you encouragement to God's character, God's history, God's nature towards his people. And I hope this brings encouragement to you as you look uh, in the past and as you look toward the future and what is in store for us. Um, And so, uh, and also uh, kind of another note, I think when we're going through this is, uh, the Bible's cool this way. So the Psalms, is it's a a hymn, right? It was a song that was meant to be sung. And they use such poetic language in Psalm 107. I love it. And so just just listen for that strong language. Um, But here are the four examples we're going to walk through. The first is wanderers in the desert. Okay, so God's people were basically abandoned, lonely, stuck out in the desert, hungry, thirsty. You'll see all this in the text. uh, And they were in desperation, right? Uh, The second circumstance is that they were prisoners in darkness and bondage. And so it talks about being uh, literally imprisoned in iron and and stuck in this dark, uh, gloomy circumstance. Uh, The third kind of situation is that God's people were suffering for their own sin and folly. And so they were suffering affliction because of their stupidity, right, and their, and their willingness to, to spurn God's word and go off into sin. And then lastly, you've got uh, sailors that are stuck in a storm. And so God's people uh, on ships stuck in a storm. These are kind of the four examples you're going to get. And, and for most of us, you, maybe you're not a sailor. Maybe you've never been imprisoned. Um, you know, there might be circumstances, like I said, that maybe you don't quite fit into your story. But I hope you see the broader narrative of what's happening. So there's a pattern that's created in all of these stories I want you to look at. And here's the pattern. Simply put, there's going to arise a season of suffering for God's people, whether that's brought on by their own sin or outside circumstances. So a season of suffering, and then they cry out in desperation, is the language of the Bible, and then God rescues them. There's a season of suffering, horrible circumstance, there's a cry of desperation for God to relieve, and then God comes in, and every time graciously rescues his people from the circumstance. That's what we're looking at. Okay, so look for that. As we go through. So let's start in verse 4. We're going to go back to verse 1 through 3 towards the end here. But let's start in verse 4. And I'm going to kind of roll through these a little bit quickly. But hang in there with me. So verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Okay, so in a desert, lonely, desolate, hungry, thirsty, seemingly abandoned, and fainted. Their soul was fainting within them. It was a desperate people. Verse 6, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So you're going to see that same exact line repeated in every story. They get to this moment where no one else can help them. A cry of desperation. God delivers them from their distress. Amen. Verse 7, he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. I love that verse. And so God's people were desolate. 
lonely, abandoned, dying, fainting, and they cry for help. And it says God delivers them. How does he deliver them? He makes a straight path through the wilderness. They find a city to dwell in. The hungry soul is satisfied. The longing soul is satisfied. And God is good, right? And it says, thank him for his steadfast love to all the children of man. I love that. And you're going to see this theme. Let's continue the next story. Let's look at the prisoners in darkness, starting in verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. So once again, a pattern here, right? God's people, and this is clear, because of their own sin, they spurned the words of God. They were made desolate and in prison, and it says God bowed them down. He lowered them to the point where there was no one else to help. And I just want to say, and you know what's coming, is a cry of desperation, right? I think that God is very gracious to us, and God often, in his grace, will bring you to a place where there is absolutely none to help you, right? Because think of it this way. If there's any hope for us to solve our own problems, if we can admit it, most likely our gut reaction is going to be to solve our own problems, right? That's what it is. We're going to keep trying to do what we can in our own might. But God will graciously bring us to the place where there's absolutely no one else to help. No one can help us. And in that moment, what happens? Verse 13, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Once again, God comes in and delivers. And if you think about these bars of iron, right, that God is breaking, I hope you see the imagery of our boundedness to sin, right? We are bound in sin and stuck there unless God relieves. Verse 17, next category. These are sufferers uh, that are in affliction because of their own sin. Verse 17 says this. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. So there's desperation here. Uh, some people describe this as someone suffering physical pain unto death, like a sickness, which could definitely be... Uh, a thing here, I mean, there's clear ties of the Bible between sickness and sin that can happen. But ultimately, because of their own sin, they're in that situation. And it's probably eight times out of ten we're in bad circumstances because of our sin. And we'll see this pattern as we continue what happens. But uh, even though they're at fault, let's look what happens when they cry. I'm sure you know what's coming. Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. So the psalmist says, celebrate with songs of joy because of your deliverance from your own sin. Verse 23, the sailors, let's read about them. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which left up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. 
their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Um, this is an intense situation here. I, I love the poetic way this is described, but here's what's happening. So you get the sea, which we can all agree is scary, right? We don't know a lot about the ocean. We don't know what happens when you get far enough down. We do know if you get a certain amount down, you're definitely going to die, right? We also know there's sharks. We know there's lots of scary things about the sea, okay? So minus like sands, modern technology, you are on the ocean, and all of a sudden a storm that is described as bringing your boat all the way up to the heavens and then all the way down to the depths over and over again, right? Like that's a scary situation. I think we all would agree that we would feel out of control, right? We would feel in that moment like an utter helplessness. I don't know if you ever watched a, a ship in the storm. It's scary stuff, right? I mean, it's crazy. But the point is that they were desperately out of control of their situation. <laughs> okay, there wasn't any uh, ounce of wisdom, any strength of their own part that was going to save them from the horrible horrors of the sea, right? And it's described as at their wit's end. It's a scary scenario. And let's look what happens. And I think you know what's coming. Verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So once again, there's a horrible situation a plea for help, and a deliverance wrought by God's hand alone that rescues his people. I love that language too. And brought them to their desired haven. And you can't help but think of us being brought to heaven one day in eternity, the desired haven. Um, So I hope you notice the pattern. There's a pattern going on here. There's a lot of things, but in each circumstance, whatever the circumstance is, there's this horrible plight. There's a plea for help. And there's the God who rescues. Now, before we get into verse 33 through 43, which is basically like a summary uh, of what's going on here, I I do want to mention something about God's rescuing because I think this is very important as we go through life. And I know all of you know this. I'm not preaching anything new here. But it's important we always keep this in mind in texts like these because many texts like these are used by some to say, see, God loves his people so much that if you have faith, you will be wealthy. If you have faith, you will get the blessing. If you have faith, you will be healed. That cancer will not kill you. And we've seen enough suffering where we know that's not true, right? We've seen people, loved ones, suffer right in front of us until they withered and died. We've seen people not eat and die of starvation all around the world. We've seen what happens in this lifetime, which is filled with a lot of suffering, right? So it is important that we keep in mind that there may be a lot of small wins on our way to eternity of God's providential grace in the tiniest of circumstances, God helping us through a financial need that there's no way we could have possibly gotten through on our own, right? God healing us of sickness. I mean, these things do happen. I'm not saying they don't ever happen and that we should be negative people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if we don't keep the ultimate win, the ultimate win then we're going to be constantly frustrated and we're going to have a hard time obeying this text when it says, thank God for his steadfast love, right? 
You have to have an eternal view of the Christian life. This is not the end goal. The Bible says that all of this world will be burned up one day, right? If your hope is here, it's going to be a sad day when it's all burned up. And so we must keep in mind that though God will do many amazing things in this life and rescue us from many amazing toils in this life. I mean, all four examples were, were examples of that, right? God does amazing things in this life. However, we must keep the goal, the goal, right? Our, our hope is in eternity. Our hope is though this outer body is wasting away, our inner body is being renewed day by day. Though this body will drop in the grave one day very soon, we will be alive forever with him. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is why we are a thankful people. This is why we can endure in this life and say, God is good, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. His steadfast love endures forever because he has, he has done the biggest rescue, right? He has given us the most amazing rescue from our bondage to sin. And each one of these examples could be a clear example of that, right? Lost at sea the wrath of God ever before us, and God rescues us by an amazing opportunity, locked in the prison of sin and evil, and God breaks the bonds, and we can go on and on, right? So we have to keep that as the main filter by which we view this, but it doesn't mean we can't be a hopeful people. It doesn't mean we can't pray for healing. It doesn't mean we don't expect God to do great and mighty and wondrous things because he does all the time, and in those we rejoice as well. Um, but I think that's an important factor. So Verse 33 through 43 is going to give, now it's going to, so it gave some specific examples. Now we're going to take a step back and say, in the cosmic overview of things, what is this providential God doing? And how does he do it? And how can we apply it to our lives? So let's look at verse 33, and we'll start reading here. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. So if you were following along all this rescuing and then you read that, you're like, wait, what just happened? It's a big reversal, right? So it says God takes the fruitful things and because of the evil of the people, God makes it a salty waste is how it's described, a desolate wasteland. So God, in his grace, looks upon, whether it's the nations, your own life, his people, and when he sees evil, he starts to press, right? He presses and he says he turns these beautiful, fruitful lands into desert waste. Now, let's continue reading. Verse 35, he turns the desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. So there's a reversal here in the text which says, but God comes in, right, and rescues like he always does, and he makes the most awful wasteland a, a fruitful land. That's why I love this. Like it doesn't matter how sinful you are, how much you've messed up, how awful you are, God can make it uh, good. And it's important too, because remember, this, this context is not necessarily the individual. This is kind of a broad, kind of this is what God does to the nations, right? So what that means is God can take a year like 2020 and make it good, right? He can make it blessing. And we'll read about that. Uh, and, and, and notice the shift from 38 to 39, because it says he will not let their flocks diminish. And then verse 39, 
and when they are diminished and brought low. I love that. <laughs> it's good, right? It's good that God reminds us uh, it can happen, right? This is in the prosperity text. You know, the prosperity person would stop there and say, see, never diminish. But rather, it can diminish. So when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and make them, makes them wander in trackless ways. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So, in summary, uh, and there's a lot of good things. I wish I had more time to really kind of break down all, all of this. But basically what's happening is God will see the evilness, the sinfulness, and, and God in his judgment will bring about suffering and hardship. And God does that in one sense for condemnation for those who walk in evil and another real sense for the deliverance of his people. God is all about delivering his people. And the grace of God is shown in amazing ways when we land in the most desperate of situations and we cry to God with 100% desperation, crying out to him, and then he delivers, right? He steps in as the rescuer. He steps in as the redeemer. He steps in as the glorious one who saves us from all of our distress and all of our trouble. And this is a beautiful picture. And you might say, wait, this psalm is telling me to be thankful for that? I mean, that seems really sadistic, right? Like, why, why would he do that, right? It's, it seems maybe almost evil. You always use the example of the, the kid with the magnifying glass and the ants, right? But God is doing a glorious work in us. We don't spurn him and his word for what he brings, but we rejoice at his providence. We rejoice at his gracious bringing us into his story and bestowing upon us all the blessings of sonship. So what are we called to do as the redeemed beneficiaries of this providence? Well, the psalm, this psalm gives us some great things to do in response to God's glory in your own life, in history. So as we look, there's three things the Bible is calling us to do. The first one is to consider God's steadfast love. Let's read verse 43 again. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things and let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So the first command is if you want to be wise, which we all want to be wise, uh, consider God's steadfast love. I love this. The, the Bible says, would you think about these things? <laughs> like, you know, this is kind of the, year, the, the time of year where some people, I know not all, are, are making maybe some New Year's resolutions, kind of saying, what can I do better? And I always tell people, go read Jonathan Edwards' New Year's resolutions and then cry that you'll never be that good and then come up with some realistic ones, right? Well, here's a realistic one. How this year, 2021, will I consider the steadfast love of the Lord? How will I read about it? How will I think about it? How will I sing about it? How will I talk about it? How will I talk about it to my kids, to my friends? How will I remember it? This is so important. The Bible says consider God's steadfast love. Don't, don't forget what God has brought you from. Don't forget what God has done in your life over and over and over again. Don't forget that you are desperately sick without him. You're desperately hopeless without him. Consider his steadfast love. And that word steadfast means constant. Through eternity, from eternity past to eternity future, God is love. So consider that love individually, 
uh, consider that love to God's people, and so on. Second thing is not only do we consider God's steadfast love, but we give thanks for God's steadfast love. This is important. We give thanks. This is commanded to give thanks. Verses 1 through 3 says, and I'm going to read kind of a series of verses through that just so you can get it. It's going to be very repetitive, but just bear with me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Verse eight, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Verse 21, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works among the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. So this psalm, if it wants you to get one thing, it's over and over and over and over and over again. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. See, what marks us as a people is our thankfulness and our joy even in times of suffering. When you read a guy like like Paul the Apostle who's just saying, you know what, I don't care. If I get to be in this life, cool. If I die, gain. Can't stop me, right? It's just like it's amazing. Like death is a want for him. It's a desperate want for him. It's actually a lot better than living in this life, right, is what he says. You see those things and they seem so drastic and unrealistic, but the point is that a thankful people will be a worshipful people, will be a joyful people. If God has done a work in your life, uh, you'll be thankful, right? Jesus says, he who's been, been forgiven much, he forgives much, he loves much, right? It's because there's this deep impact in the Christian soul that says, I am thankful. It doesn't say, I am awesome. It doesn't say, I can do this. It doesn't say, I'm way better than those people over there, right? It simply says, I am thankful for the God of love who's reached down and saved a desperate, wicked, undeserving sinner like me. That's the gospel. And third, we are commanded and encouraged to celebrate God's steadfast love with his people. This is important. Verse 32. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. I love this. God says, This is not simply an individual thing. That's why at the beginning he says, let the redeemed, this is plural, let them say so. His steadfast love endures forever. His goodness is amazing. God says, do this together as my people. So this brings some real implication for us, right? Like uh, when we gather and sing on a Sunday morning, it's not because we have good voices and want to display that to each other. Yeah, there are some people that can sing very well up here. But I know most of us are quiet in our seats because we don't want to be heard, right? It's not about that for us. It's about singing the amazing works and steadfast love of God amongst the people of God who have been redeemed. There is a sense of joy about us in the way that we sing, in the way that we gather, right? This is why Paul says, would you greet one another with hymns and and spiritual songs? So, you know, instead of saying, hi, how are you doing? It'd be like, we just walk up to each other and just start singing Amazing Grace together. You know, it's like this really weird environment in the early church that was awesome, right? It was this joyful desperation to sing and extol the praise of God among the people of God. We've got to do this. 
This is why you know, it's been a blessing to be able to uh, meet virtually. And I'm not judging anyone online right now. Uh, it's been a huge blessing to do that, right, in the, in the context of a pandemic and all these things. But this is why we're so desperately longing when things blow over to get back together, to be in the same room, breathing the same air, and rejoicing the Lord together. And the Bible commands us to do that. And we've got to ask the question, well, what's really at stake if we don't do these things, right? Like, okay, we could probably admit, I'm not doing a good job at this. I'll be the first to admit in front of you, okay? Going to be honest in 2021, all right? Uh, that it is hard. Like, a, like, if we are not considering the steadfast love of the Lord, if we're not walking in a genuine thankfulness for it, if we're not celebrating it together amongst the people of God, well, what's at stake? What's happening? And I would say, and this doesn't really talk about this in this text in particular, but I would say from personal experience that um, it hardens my heart, right? It makes me a bitter person that doesn't suffer well. It makes me an unworshipful person. It makes singing in the congregation awkward. It makes reading my Bible boring. And you can fill in the blank, right? And we still should do these things whether we feel it or not. I'm not making any sort of argument that we should only do what we feel. That'd be a very bad thing, okay? We feel a lot of bad stuff on a pretty consistent basis. But what's at stake is your soul. What's at stake is your marriage. What's at stake is your friendships. What's at stake is the the mission of God. Now, obviously, God's in control. God's going to complete the work he started. God's going to complete his mission with or without you. He doesn't need you to be involved. But, man, do I want to play a zealous heartfelt, joyful, passionate, thankful part in the story of God. Amen. I I want to. I desire that. And this psalm is here to encourage God's people not to forget his steadfast love. This is the story of the Bible, is that God's people forget his love, go off into sin, find themselves in a very desperate situation, cry to God for help, and he rescues them. And then they rejoice. They're ecstatic. They're amazing. They go out into the world, and they forget it again. This is the perpetual story of the human race and probably the perpetual story of your personal life. And so may we look out of 2021 with a desperation to consider these things, to walk in these things, to find newness in life in these things. So how are we going to consider God's love? How are we going to give thanks for it? How are we going to be... Um, celebrating this together in the congregation are very, very, very important questions for us to answer. And so uh, I want to move to close. Um, and I thought maybe what might be best is I just want to take a moment to consider the steadfast love of the Lord together. This is important, okay, that we do this. Now, First off, I want to say, don't believe the lie (laughs) that says, it's a cheap lie, right? It says God's love equals health, comfort, wealth, a good life, everything I want, right? That's an evil lie. It's an evil lie. We know that's not true. We've experienced enough of life, uh, and, and I know I'm young, but... Already have experienced enough life to know that's not true. It doesn't, that's not how life works out. Everything's not going to be pleasing, right? Everything's not going to be the best, though it is the best for you, right? So let's not believe that lie, but rather let's look at God's love. I want to give a quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon, who he wrote on this particular psalm in The Treasury of David. It's a big book where he went through all of the psalms. It's very good. It's verse by verse. And he says this about Psalm 107. He said, If hunger 
brings us to our knees, it is more useful to us than feasting. If thirst drives us to the fountain, it is better than the deepest draughts of worldly joys. And if fainting leads to crying, it is better than the strength of the mighty. And he delivered them out of their distresses. I love that. What is best for you is what brings you to desperation for the Lord. Because it's in that that we experience the glorious, amazing, providential, steadfast love of our Savior. So before we pray, let me ask you a few questions. Has God delivered you out of a million little desperate circumstances and situations that were out of your control and sent you into despair? Amen. Has God rescued you from yourself? Financially, maybe your health, maybe out of despair and loneliness or you fill in the blank? Amen. Has God given you amazing comfort in his word and his promises. Amen. Has God himself not provided a way of escape from the prison of your sin? Has God not poured out every ounce of his righteous wrath toward you on his precious son, Jesus Christ? Has he not looked in your eyes and called you clean, family, friend? Amen. Has he not formed you in your mother's womb so that you might reveal his glory to a dying world? Has he not bestowed upon you peace that passes all understanding? Has he not faithfully brought you to the point of hunger, thirst, and want and desperation so that you might cry out in desperation and have him rescue you? Amen. Behold the steadfast love of the Lord never ends, never ceases. Let's pray together. You guys can bow your heads with me. Father, we love you so much. And this morning we're in awe of your steadfast love. It endures forever. Your goodness to your people who you have redeemed and gathered in from all four corners of the world. And God, it is with great despair that we confess that we don't consider these things like we ought to. It is with great despair that we confess that we are not thankful at all times for your steadfast love. And it is with great despair that we confess that we don't always love to celebrate this together. in the ways that we should. But it is also with great joy that we see your providential, sovereign hand in our lives and in that we rejoice greatly. Because God, without your so perfect and precise providence, we would never, ever, ever be able to get to our desired haven which we, we have confidence you will bring us to. And so, Lord, I just pray in desperation, we cry out this morning, help us. Oh, God, for those who have never tasted the sweetness of your providence, I pray for them, God, would you help them to see your steadfast love this morning? For those of us, God, who have tried so desperately to see your hand 
and I've only come up bitter and angry that you have not worked things out better for us. Oh God, would you help us? Would you help us to see what only we can see through your spirit? Would you help us to gaze upon the history of your people and upon 2020 and upon the possibilities of the future with hope and joy and trust and a magnificent excitement about your providential hand. And God, it is with pure excitement that we long to get to the end of our life and to look back and see your hand and how it traced through every moment with grace and mercy and love, even though it felt hard. And it will wipe away every single tear and we will have no more pain, no more suffering, but only joy in you. God, create in us worshipful hearts, clean hands. As we step into 2021, may our song always be the grace of your providence and your steadfast love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.